Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a De Beer. Evening, everyone. Welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Show, where the show that's getting you across the advantage line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm Reg Roberts, Rugby Reg, joining you for another week or another podcast episode. It's been a while. We're not doing a uh, classic commentary this week. We're actually discussing the issues. People have been at us for a long time about having an actual chat about what's going on in Australian rugby. We've tried to avoid it, but we can avoid it no longer. And joining us is the usual twosome, Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? Good, mate. Um, uh, it's good a bit like, uh, yeah, the way you said weekly was very, yeah. op- very optimistic. <laughs> it's just my standard intro. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, uh, there's no flexibility there, mate. I'm just straight down the line. Um, we've also got Hugh Campbell. How are you going, Hugh? I'm good. I'm good, Reg. Um, yeah, gee, I, I'm tired from just everything that's happened. It's sort of weird <laughs> to talk about it. I just want rugby. Give me, Give me a mediocre, you know. Yeah. Game between two South African teams at four in the morning. I reckon I'd be keen for it. <laughs> it is it is strange. We've kind of been avoiding a an issue related podcast for a while. We snuck those classic commentaries in and a few things, but uh, it's just reached a point where we thought we we can't sort of avoid it any longer. There's been so much happening that we we thought we might as well get together and have a bit of a wang about it. Um, so we're going to do it. Look, we're not going to do five burning questions. We've got three real questions. So the first one is as simple as what's been the craziest thing to happen in Australian rugby this last month. Question two is, you know, how is this the end? I guess this is sort of leaping off my article I wrote the other day. We'll have a chat, chat about what what's where that is going, where we are now. And question three, trying to uh, put some sort of positivity back into it. How can we come back? Um, so the first one, guys, I guess, you know, it, it has been a crazy, I don't even know how long it is. It is a month, a couple of months ago we were trying to sort of piece it together weren't we did it all start with the the AGM and the the inability to put the audited finances on the on the table by Raylene yeah I mean that's the problem isn't it we're in COVID time there there's no there's no anchor to to put, put anything on it all just kind of it all kind of swims together I mean the thing that is the problem is there's so much media background noise wasn't there that just 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 kept building and it seemed um as soon as well, as we drifted into the rights negotiation or who knows what you now call that um, sort of zone, that's just when it all just turned into one long. And it feels like it's just gone on ever since, doesn't it? It's just that you've had other craziness happen along the way. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I guess it kind of the the AGM kind of seemed to trigger a fair bit of that. Yeah, so this is how I was trying to remember. And you're right, that you do. It, it gets all cluttered with the everyday stuff of – you know, the the broadcast negotiation and the Fox Sports um, conspiracy theories about how they're playing that out, let alone the whole layer of what the hell's happening in the world at the moment with everything else. But mm-hmm. so I think, yeah, so I think if we play it out, the AGM, the annual report, um, the audited statements couldn't be tabled. Um, the auditors weren't prepared to sign them off at that stage. That kicked up a bit of a stink. There was... Um, I guess, was this before, this must have been after that, we had Rupa stepping in, Justin Harrison and his team around player payments and wanting a seat at the table and negotiating with the Rugby Australia and wanting to see those finances and that didn't happen for a while. And then obviously we had a few new board members there, so that's when 
Wiggs um, and Herbert, Dan Herbert, got involved and they started to take over the negotiation on the player payments. Uh, I think soon enough, and then the pressure started to get on Rayleigh and then they started to talk about um, uh, hidden costs and all that sort of stuff and the mm-hmm. pressure. And then it started to be, uh, maybe there is some board pressure on Raylene. And then we heard there was, she was going to be on what the seven thirty report. Then all of a sudden she was gone. Well, hang on. You've forgotten the, 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 oh, the captain's the, letter. The, the, the 10 oh, slash 11 captains. Oh my God. How do you forget that? Yeah. It's like forgetting the red wedding. I mean, come yes. on. <laughs> <laughs> Effectively what it was. So, so the captain's letter of 11, which soon became 10, and and that sort of demanded some action from Rugby Australia. Not entirely sure what that action was, but apparently there's a follow-up letter that came after Raylene's demise, after Raylene's uh, um, resignation. Um, and Paul McLean was, uh, is obviously the interim chairman, and he's sort of taking the lead in terms of um, all those negotiations with Rupert and missing calls from Channel 10 and Optus, I think. And um, then we've got this, the, the new dynamic is the, the new uh, uh, board member, uh, Wiggs, is, in, is involved and everyone's impressed. And he's the mm. future of rugby and he's going to save the game. He'll be chairman. And then all of a sudden he starts to power plays and he wants to bring Matt Carroll back. Matt Carroll, former deputy uh, CEO under John O'Neill a couple of times and most uh, currently at the AOC Australian Olympic Committee. So he was coming back. And well, and, but, and that was that was fascinating. I mean, we even got to the point where it was like John Coates like was actually yeah. t- was, was talking about how he had blessed that union and off you go and, you know, it's all happening. It was it was quite that was quite bizarre. That Talk about getting ahead of yourself on that one. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he was gone mm. in a, an email interchange, interchange, which we can see, see proudly published in the in the morning papers, where McLean was seemingly trying to um, placate a few bodies, saying, uh, "Let's let's hold off and not appoint someone too quickly to the CEO role," um, and that was enough for Wiggs to stand back and express his disgust at the organisation and, and and resign. Well, I think the thing there was that we, and and I think uh, McLean says it in those emails was that quite clearly Wiggs was super close with um, with Carol. I think as it's been it's been described in the press of you know sort of drinking buddies, Um, and although oh my god that you know good luck trying to pick out people who aren't joined at the hit in this whole sort of situation, Um, and I think McLean is saying hey look. It doesn't look like you can really be chair and CEO in that situation. How about you take a, another director's position? And as we understand it, that's where Wiggs goes. Well, actually, you know, not only I need to be CEO, I need to be chair. He needs to be CEO, and I also want John O'Neill on the board. Yeah. Um, and if right. I don't, and if I don't get those three things, then I'm out. And uh, and he did. Yep. Quite remarkable. <laughs> remarkable. So now we've got. McLean still acting chair. We've got Rob Clark, formerly of the Brumbies and the Rebels, and who was very much involved in the force decision uh, as acting CEO. Uh, we've got Hamish McLennan likely to come in as the new, or I think he's coming in as the new board member and likely to step into the chair position, formerly of Fox Sports and Channel 10. So there's a bit of a broadcast um, uh, sort of uh, uh, experience there and a, a bit of an interesting dynamic. Um, and I'm sure there's other things along the way. So it, it's a nuts period in Australian rugby. And I guess, Hugh, 
What's been the craziest, mate? What's what, what's been the thing that's blowing your well, look, mind at all this? Guys, strapping. I'm going to count down my top 25 moments of the Peter Wick era uh, on the Rugby Estate board. Won't we look back with fondness? As, what a contribution! This, this podcast made. could and, go longer. You know, he's a long, he's a you know, he's a long-serving uh, member of the RA board, and those 16 days, well. Uh, we'll um, well, I mean, the, the Wigs takeover was the craziest moment because I think that's where it all was laid bare um, as to all of this stuff around, well, we're in, all, in the best interest of the game and we only want people who've got the best interest of rugby at heart. It was all stripped back a bit there and it became an, just essentially a naked power grab, um, you know, a hostile takeover of the board um, by a, a man and, a, you know, men – um, all from the same few streets around Mossman, um, you know, l- attached from from various business dealings, various you know historical you know playing together back in the day, whatever it is, um, and I, I feel like that is almost a bit of a turning point in this in this um, it marked a turning a, a turning point in the eyes of the rugby public, I think, where you know people were probably willing to believe that Raylene had lost lost control and. And and things had lost their way, um, but now, um, you know, it, it became just about essentially a group of people around a board table just just feathering their own nest, and uh, now nobody knows what to think. You know, was Raylene? You know, Raylene might come out of this enhanced, if anything. You know, you go, geez, looking at what you had to put up with, I don't blame you um, for doing what you did. So it's, it's been such a, such a bizarre month and it's even worse not to have sport to focus on, you know, to take the, take the shine away from, from these guys and, and take the headlines and take the column inches because at the moment it just seems like we've got Jessica Halloran and, and Jamie Pandram in, in, in the News Corp mastheads just coming off the top rope every day with, you know, um, allegations of, of, you know, various levels of truth, um, and it's just hard to hard to keep reading. I, I don't know. And but you know, the the Wigs moment was definitely the craziest because yeah, it was that sort of forty eight hours of madness where we had Matt Carroll put forward and then taken away, and Peter Wiggs was the savior, and then he was let, then he left. You know, he he was this great mate of Phil Kearns, and it was he was going to save the day. Nick Far Jones loved him, and he was the one. But then all of a sudden, he's gone and. We're never going to see him again. I mean, what a what a mad week. What about the other dynamic for that? And, and Wiggs takes a cake. It, this whole thing is bizarre. But my little one will be the the interplay between the states. So Roger Davis comes out, um, you know, early. I guess you know, a couple of days before that whole Wiggs departs thing, and sort of lends his support to to Wiggs and the new. Uh, power base of Australian rugby and, and and he talks on behalf of the states he said we've just got off a meeting with him and and we were all really impressed with Wiggs we think he's something special really excited about what he's going to bring to to rugby Australia all this sort of stuff and I know behind the scenes it wasn't all that feeling and in fact there was um there was uh, uh some calls behind uh behind play there that that instigated this letter uh that came out first from Queensland Rugby or Queensland Rugby Letterhead, um, and the Brumbies published it too, but on behalf of all the other members of Australian rugby um, from a state perspective, including <laughs> Western Australia and South Australia. And I didn't actually pick it up at first. I thought it was like where it's just a, a this uh, uh, 
uh, a press release saying, you know, we're right behind Paul McLean and what they're trying to do with Australian rugby and, and due process and all that sort of stuff. And I didn't pick up that New South Wales weren't one of the signatories to it until someone else sort of mentioned on on Twitter. But that was a very pointed response to to yeah. the power play that was happening between because this Roger Davis guys, that's that's the one that. The Waratahs chair, he's a bit of a power player behind the behind the scenes. He's trying to manipulate that board, and he was a lot of the one uh, apparently uh, in play there, trying to get Wiggs and O'Neill and uh, uh, Mortimer from University of uh, Sydney on board for quite some time. So it's a, it's a fascinating uh, fascinating development. It's just bizarre. Well, look, uh, you do. You, you're right, Reg. That's kind of like that was one of those things that almost kind of slipped through, and you kind of it was like things by omission, wasn't it? That you had to kind of pick out. Yep. But look, of the choices I've still got left, as far as what I think was the craziest, um, I don't know. I I'm going to leave you hopefully to talk about the captains. Oh <laughs> and, right. And, and I'm just going to drill into a subset of what Hugh was just talking about, which was that <laughs> apparently part of. Um, the you know we had two media showers last week. Um, you know one um, was you know that kind of flashed through the sky. You know one was um, whatever it was off the tail of a comet. The other one was Peter Wiggs <laughs> and yes. his um, and, and his approach um, to basically try and take over the board. But the the subset of all of this that I just found the biggest irony of all ironies, and I could not get my head around, was that as a part of his demands was that John O'Neill should be on the board of Rugby Australia. And the irony I find of all ironies is just about every problem. And, and I think that I think we're going to kind of examine probably in our next couple of questions that we now find ourselves with and all the things that we're currently untangling. John O'Neill was basically the, the instigator of. Um, and so the idea that he would then be the guy that has to come back on this board to fix this thing up was just that was the bit I probably had to find the absolute craziest. Um, and, and the thing that comes out of all of this was just and the number of times you saw it written in the paper of how back to the future we had to be um, in terms of bringing back every dinosaur that you could think of or some reincarnation of, um, including, you know, great captains of past to try and rescue us. That is the thing, you know, of from everything that they've basically either been part of or have put in place. I mean, you know, I guess I'm stealing some of the thunder on the captain's thing, but, you know, the the number of people who've had their names in there who's um, on these letters who then someone pointed out, but you were all on boards of either, if it wasn't Rugby Australia, then it was one of the state unions at some stage during this whole period that you reckon is a complete disaster. So that all these people suddenly wanted to step forward and that John O'Neill should be one of those who actually, you know, was part of that thing to put him on the board. That was the thing that absolutely blew my mind. I That was when... Yeah, that's when that's probably when my gasket went. But what of his credentials? I mean, I know his historic credentials. It's just such a bizarre decision. It's purely, oh God, he did all right once before. Let's get him back on again. This, you know, his relevancy around Echo Entertainment and what they're doing now is 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 it's not what we need now. It's just such a bizarre even suggestion. That was just a complete power base. Uh-huh. Him, Carol Wiggs, uh, let alone something New South Wales, is, is horrible. Yeah, so the, the the captain's letter, bizarre. I mean, I think Hugh captured it best with his uh, his letter that was getting what was it getting New Zealand um, coverage as well. Hugh made you, you made the uh, the 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 talk show the chat scene over in New Zealand with your tongue in cheek letter of response. 
Yeah, it, it did. It was one of those ones where I was having it sent to me by various family members and and um, it sort of seemed to cut through. But I think one of the reasons why it did was was I think everyone had obviously the same reaction that I did was like, hang on, you know, wait a second. Uh, why are you guys doing this? You yeah. know, I, I think there's a... There's a real part of the media in this that's been out of touch because they all breathlessly reported this letter and gave these guys an absolute, you know, pile on um, a platform to speak to speak from. And and Fitzsimons and or, to his credit, um, mm. you know, actually had the same reaction I did, and obviously many others did. And he he grasped that of well, this is ridiculous. Um, and you know, I just took it in a slightly different way to what Fitzsimons did. Um, but it it was just another chapter in this one, you know, it's you can strip away some of the guys that, you know, we hadn't really heard much from before and indeed haven't heard much from since in the Nathan Sharps and the um, Sterling Mortlocks. Um, but, you know, Nick Farr-Jones and Phil Kearns, are the, again, the names behind it all, uh, they're the ones that are clearly driving it. Um, and you know, there's, there's comes a time where these guys need to be held to account and they need to have someone actually talked to them and interview them and actually put some sort of scrutiny on their motivations and their actions, because I'm sick of them just getting these soft buddy columns in news court papers where they just tee off on whoever the poor saps are that, that are in the chair and it's, and it's happened for 15 years with Far Jones. Um, and you know, it's all, well, he could be doing it better and there should be this and that. And, and, um, I, I just don't buy it at all. And Wayne Smith and the Australian is, is starting to, to look into it, which I think is, is uh, to his great credit, but I, it, it was just such a strange thing. And then of course, Stephen Moore gets a write up in, in the, um, the, I think it's the Courier Mail. Jim Tucker wrote a piece where he talked to him and basically drilled down to the fact that he applied to be on the board and nobody gave him a phone call. He just got a phone call from the recruiting company and got an interview by the recruiting company. And and that was his sort of catalyst moment that things needed to change. Go, Wait, <laughs> yeah, was, exactly. was that literally your reason was, hey, I, yeah. I didn't get a phone call from the chairman when I wanted to be on the board um, and therefore, I think the current leadership should resign. That was his thought train mm. in signing that letter. I mean, mm. I don't know how many of these captains really and, – and it came back to, to the response to my letter and the response to Fitzsimons' piece, among others, is that you know these guys obviously just don't command the respect in the rugby community that many people thought they did and indeed that they think they do. Um, maybe that you know in in certain in the circles they move in they get slapped on the back and t- being told they're fine in the good fight but I think in the wider rugby community in this country I, I don't think there was a huge amount of support for what they did at all yeah it's interesting isn't it the a couple of implications there one that's come out recently is that all of a sudden Kearns isn't a contender for the CEO position it's probably if he did have aspirations for that role uh, he's done himself more harm than good I mean whether he has that ability to, to recover from that We'll be wait and see. But the one that frustrates me is all of a sudden this is just another stakeholder group that we have to, and when I say we, Australian rugby, have to 
um, be accountable to now. So, the, you know, the reports that Wigs and, and various members of the board were meeting with Far Jones and these representatives, whereas they should be getting on and working with the states and working with, you know, Rupert and, and you know, the schools and the, and the community rugby and, and doing proper recovery stuff. Instead, they've got to report into this one, this no power captain's 10 table, let alone respond to their suggestion that they set up another board of 13 representatives of Australian rugby to look at every aspect of the game. It's just, mm. it was a ridiculous proposition. Yeah. It, it, and then and it, it just came back to this thing that um, because I, I captain one rugby team in Australia. <laughs> once uh, for a couple yeah. of them. Yeah. <laughs> versus Romania. Yeah. I, th- I think me saying this would probably blow a few people's minds and they go, how, how could you possibly say that? How dare you say that? But no, literally you captain a rugby team in Australia and that makes you feel like you have a right um, to, you know, change the governance of a whole organisation. And I think that is probably what's worst, is one of the worst problems that Rugby Australia um, uh, has or, or and Rugby in Australia has which is that, and that and probably why I guess I made my statement about the idea of O'Neill coming back, is he made a big strategic call a while back, which was Australian rugby just need to look after the top of the pyramid and everything else would be fine. And we find ourselves where we find ourselves. Um, and there was a few other things that got done along the way because we only had to look at the top of the pyramid. You yeah. did a deal with Rupert with the 100 and whatever it is, 120 or 190 um, professional players and that's all that matters and that they get a cut of the revenue and it doesn't matter if the re- you know the revenue goes up they, they get a, you know the same share so you basically can't run it as a business all these decisions that got made which all focus around i just need to keep basically one team happy and that's the wallabies but and that everything else will be fine and that's where we end up with 10 guys thinking they can write a letter and 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 to change a whole organization which should be representing a sport that hundreds of thousands of people play day in day out not one team who pull on one jersey and i think that's completely where we've lost and that and it's exactly why we are where we are and it's the biggest thing that i worry about of where we are now and and that i hope that this board and that the one good sign was that they at least and i mean it could well be that the history of rugby australia has a lot to thank paul mclean for for what he did um in you know basically putting you know putting this out um because you know that was to me that was heading if we thought we'd got to the wrong spot in australian rugby it looked to me like we were just diluting that down even further and concentrating it down and biting even harder on that pill and um yeah i just i that was the thing that that was so mind-blowing to me the thing about ex-players, though, Matt, and, and you, you're right, you know, that these players, have, just because they've graced the rugby field, they feel like they have the right to tell us what to do. The difference between ex-players in a rugby context and in other sports, and, and the nature of rugby's private school, university kind of breeding grounds is that, you know, it's and it's a positive It's a, in, in many ways, is that our ex-players are influential they're educated and they've gone into to business and they've been successful in their own right you compare that to other sports and i I don't want to generalize but a lot of other sports where ex-players just spend their time you know owning pubs and you know having decreasing cognitive function um you know that in rugby (laughs) you know we've got these these guys that when they write a letter to say that the board should stand aside because we could do better 
they might be right. Like Phil Kearns, for, for all that I deride him and, and we deride him, he's a successful CEO yeah. in his own right. Dan Herbert comes onto the board and he's a bruising outside centre. Also legitimately successful CEO. Like these guys that, that have have lived, you know, have played out amazing careers also have amazing business, you know, many of them have business credentials that uh, may mean that they're just as well equipped in the boardroom as they were on the playing field. And uh, there's no other sport in Australia that really has that dynamic, where that those ex players, not only through Rupa and the and the structures that we've created through Tony Dempsey in the 90s, and which is you know obviously as you that basically put us where we are today, but also all these guys are, are are so influential and intelligent and well spoken, and they know how to manipulate the media, and and they're pulling all the strings here. Um, and I don't think they even realise many of them what they're doing to the mm. game and 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 where they sit in regards to the broader sort of community. Yeah, well, but that's my answer to your question, which is, and I and I get it too. You can think through and go, you know, um, some very smart guys who've done some really impressive things. My problem is, is that you're always going to you're kind of struggling against a perspective that you're in that you can't help yourself in. Like you can't help the fact that you were now and you were a wallaby. And and there are very, very few that I've met over the years that I would say actually can hold another perspective. Do you know one of the few people I reckon I've met who've been like that is David Pocock? Oh, um, yeah. and, and I'd say that, which is that, and people would say, oh, you know, and he's writ that large and all the rest of it. And I can see why people would, you know, I can see where people throw stones from, but definitely just from him and from other people I've talked to who I know, know him very well. He strikes me as somebody who goes, I'm just a rugby player. At the end of the day, I chase a freaking ball around a field. And yes, I did that. I can do that better than most other people in the world. It does not mean I know how to administer a game for everyone else. I probably have a very good idea what I, as one of those 15 or 20 or maybe even 120 people would want and need, but I don't necessarily know what everybody else does. In fact, I almost definitely don't because I almost definitely didn't play subbies rugby and I almost definitely didn't do all those other things that everyone else who's part of rugby or just being a schmo who goes and watches a game but really doesn't know how to play it much you you are by definition in the um the smallest minority part of australian rugby that you could be um and that doesn't and that almost by definition means you shouldn't be the person running it yeah and i would say that and the the best of evidence we have of that is exactly where we are now because we've actually had either you know these either those guys and or other people um, who aren't actually sporting administrators, but, you know, good rugby men who um, have done well in the boardroom or, in, in, you know, somewhere else, who then, who then come along. And what we don't have is that viewpoint, or we haven't had that viewpoint of, and I think it takes us to exactly what you're going to talk about in a minute, Reg, in your, your great article, which is, you know, the complete opposite of that, the culture shock of that. Um, yeah, and so that, which is why I feel they're exactly generally speaking not or the, they can't help themselves they just have they are from a viewpoint and from an experience that they are going to it's going to be almost impossible for them not to be part of yeah fascinating and look i was going to say that that sort of um ancestral relationship between the boardroom and the playing field is 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 so very rugby but the best rugby story this week i don't know if you guys caught it was um 
the new CEO, the acting CEO, Rob Clark, is good mates with, uh, uh, is it Pat, De- Pat Delaney from Fox Sports? <laughs> and how they built their relationship. <laughs> oh. What, sailing? So, sailing together on the weekend. <laughs> in, yeah. In, Down in, at the squadron. Yeah, the lower North Shore, yeah. It is just fantastic. Um, all right, guys, let, let's go on to um, question two. And I guess I'll, I'll uh, so this is about, uh, you know, what happens now? Is this the end? And I did write a fairly fatalistic article uh, earlier this week. It's been sort of brewing my head for a while. And, and can I say the stimulus for this was, the ease of which people came up with solutions, um, whereby Super Rugby's broke, all we need to do is do a national club competition, you know, clubs going so well, just make all those stars play club rugby, the broadcasters will love it, that'll rebirth the game, we can play some rep football and all that sort of stuff. It was just, it was too easy and it came from no sort of place of common sense. I think you know, guys know me, and you know I'm a fairly optimistic person normally, and I've, I've probably copped a bit of flack for that, particularly from a Reds perspective, supporting the Reds. <laughs> so I had to sort of drill deep for this one. And I wanted to look at it from that position as we – there are certain elements of Australian rugby and what's been going on that you can't ignore any longer and that we probably all have repeatedly and we can't ignore any longer. And it's it's the – it's the it, it's the, the the governance of the game. So it's the finances, it's the operations, um, and everything associated with it. We've we've had some highs, um, sort of false highs. You know, we 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 build up on the back of a rugby league, uh, rugby world cup, and then obviously a British Lions tour. Um, rugby world cup we've had twice. Obviously only once the professional era. The world the Lions tour we've had two in the professional era now, um, and they blow up the coffers. Um, but we managed to lose it and blow it pretty easily. So if all that was stripped back and if, you know, obviously COVID's a, a tipping point now, but things were looking that bad anyway, what would be the model of Australian rugby next year? If Super Rugby blows up, which we all agree uh, it would, you know, I've got doubts on our ability to to form any um, sustainable competition within Australia. Well, that, yeah, I, I do have doubts, and I, that was the basis of the article. I don't know what New Zealand will do. I don't know what South Africa will do. Um, we can talk about those options later. But if we have the removal of Super Rugby next year, I can't see us developing a um, suitable domestic competition that will rival the NRL, the AFL, that would get us broadcast uh, um, uh, rights, that would get us revenue that could keep the game sustainable at the level we have come accustomed to. So what does that mean? It means... Um, we lose our professional rugby players. These 120-odd players that are playing for us now will go. We don't have the funds for them. They'll go overseas. And again, there's question marks as to what competitions will even be viable next year. But uh, between France, the UK, Japan, um, the NRL, there's new US professional leagues being talked about. Who knows? I think there's a fair chunk. We'll lose a fair bit of those players. We're already seeing that with a couple of players in Kirtley Beale and Luke Jones. Um what does it leave? It just leaves a club competition. So we go back to the amateur days of the 80s, whereby the clubs monopolised the season. We still have representative teams. Um, you can pick Queensland teams and they play ad hoc through the season. We used to have, what, maybe half a dozen games at random random times during the season. 
Um, and it's true representative rugby. So whoever's playing in your local competition gets to pull on the maroon jersey or the Waratah sky blue jersey, and that's the representative rugby. Now, the dichotomy this year is that you know, these periods is that you've got all their professional players overseas. You've still got representative windows, the formality of representative windows. So we can call on our Wallabies. We can call on our, through the, you know, the expulsion of the Giddo law and, and pick our Wallaby teams a couple of times a year, whatever the, whatever the window is. I think I might have got that wrong in the article. There's some different windows allowed for these international players. So there's still a Wallaby team. And on by and large, they're our best players from those guys playing professionally abroad. It evolves into this Socceroo scenario. But we would barely see them. Like the Socceroos, we might get them for a couple of games a year, but they play most of their footy overseas, uh, just for the nature of the calendar. Um, so the flow on from that is that we get stuck in this cycle of, of, of limited funds coming in. We don't have the product. Uh, but uh, it's, it's an amateur game, a little bit of professionalism at the top, but even just our rep teams, our state teams and whatnot, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, amateur. The game continues. I've got no doubt about that. The game will continue. People keep people say it'll be the end of the game. The game will continue to be played. People enjoy playing the game. My kids love playing rugby. They don't care that the Wallabies aren't there or the Reds aren't there. You know, they they don't think they're going to ever play for them. They love it because they love playing rugby union on the weekends with their mates. And there's thousands of kids out there and there's hundreds of blokes out there. There's, you know, hopefully a handful of girls out there who just like playing rugby. So that game will continue and there'll be a national body that organises those competitions, but we just won't have the ability to deliver professional rugby. So the article's there on site. It's caused a lot of interest. A lot of people completely disagree with me, which I respect. A lot of the people, I guess, um, can see the the danger inherent in the sport and where we're going and, and agree with that aspect of it and hopefully it doesn't go that way and others completely agree and others are really positive by it. They want it to happen. They want the focus purely on grassroots and, and, and club to see what's out of it. So, look, uh, it was um, an interesting exercise to go through that machinations and just sort of playing it out and what the what the role and effects for the sport is. But it's 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 not something I hope will happen but I think it's something that needs to be looked at. And I just, I wanted to convey that perspective that it's not as easy as just saying we cut super rugby and all will be solved. Well, you've taken the red pill and I think Hugh's going to take the blue pill in a minute. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, I just wanted to say it was a great article, Reg, and I I think it elucidated a lot of things uh, for people. I think think if there was the number one message that came through it is that even though it was dressed in a with a valium around it there was um an under underlying message there which is you know rugby doesn't die so yeah, you know exactly. and 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 i think a lot of people reacted to that and said yeah, absolutely like it won't it will be and and it, i guess that kind of echoes that point i was making earlier about what is rugby is it you know is is it the wallabies is it you know mm. is it is it some professional layer underneath that or what is it and actually for the majority of people you know, it's something different. And so, and I think that really kind of came across. I think thought the second thing was, which just blew people's heads up, especially on Twitter, was the idea that you was basically saying, yeah, if there's going to be a lot of rugby players who go overseas and we'll survive without them. Yeah. And you could just see people not coping with that. Absolutely just, you know, couldn't get their heads around it no matter what and had to torture, you know, um, some other super rugby comp 
into existence um, to, to, you know, that could somehow accommodate all the professional rugby players we've got now or its failure. And I thought that was really interesting as well. People just couldn't let go of the idea that it would shrink or in your the point that you were saying is that it would even just disappear. That was incredible. That was really interesting, actually, in yeah. terms of response. Yeah. The other thing I will say is I, I actually, and again, I, you know, I'm not anti-club football. I, I really enjoy my club football. I just don't think it's the ultimate answer. A lot of people are saying, you put all these players back into club footy and, you know, people will come and watch it. I did the exercise of putting just on a spreadsheet of all our Queensland Premier Rugby teams and all the Shoot Shield teams and just put the professional rugby guys back in the teams that they're aligned with. And other than a few standouts, like Brothers Rugby Club just gets everyone back. But all their young stars, they're in their 20s, but Fraser McWright and, and Taniela Tupo and Hamish Stewart and James O'Connor. Most of those clubs, you know, you chuck Jack Hardy and Isaac Rotter and East doesn't mean you're all of a sudden going to get an extra 2,000 people down to watch that game or 20,000 people watching it in TV. It, I don't think it has that significant impact on the quality of the competition or the, uh, the you know, the commercial um, gains to be made for it. But, yeah, so that was just another output from it. But, Hugh, I, I might have taken it too far, do you reckon? Oh, look, a little bit. I, I certainly appreciate <laughs> the perspective that you were coming from. I mean, it's something that needed to be said. It's a scenario that we needed to go down that path and investigate as a hypothetical, even if, you know, we don't know what's going to come to pass. Um, so I suppose if, if I'm arguing in, on a more optimistic basis, I'll say that, look, you put a good rugby man in charge is the first thing. And, and uh, you know, <laughs> then, then it all clears itself up. No, um, it's, so if I go down this this hypothetical that that you did, Reg, I, I and I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple of days since I read the article. Is well, as a thought exercise, if this came to pass that Australia said, "Well, guys, we're out," you know, professional rugby, yeah. the show's wrapping up here. What did what did New Zealand do? Because did New Zealand say, "Well"? okay, well, we're going to keep Super Rugby going with South Africa because we like playing the South Africans, so we're going to keep that connection and we'll throw, you know, a team from Japan in or we'll keep Argentina. Super Rugby may well march on without us. Now, if you assume that, which is, again, a big assumption, um, well, surely we'll have enough money to cobble together to get one or two teams in that competition. You know, it, it would be the, the amount of revenue that's drawn in by the Wallabies, that's drawn in by a TV deal of some description that you could do with a, with a couple of teams, I'm, I'm sure, I, I think would be enough to cover the cost of one or two teams. And maybe you don't have the million dollar salaries. Maybe you are still saying goodbye to the Michael Hoopers and the Taniela Tupos of the world. Um, and it's, it's more of an A-League kind of style where you're seeing a mix of young up-and-comers with old veterans coming back and they're all on you know, relatively low wages, but they're there for, you know, the, it's enough to make a living and, and they can get by. I think that might be a more realistic view of the future of professional rugby in this country. You know, I, I think you have to worry about the future of the Melbourne Rebels um, and and you probably have to worry about the future of the Brumbies. I think there's a, there's a real chance that we drop back to Waratahs and Reds um, you have a smaller salary cap in the in the beginning, and and we have a cut price TV deal or whatever it is that that um, allows us to to have something on screens. Um, and 
you might be reduced to having, you know, our good. We might keep a, some of our good under twenties or your low lessios and maybe your blokes like Carmichael Hunt that don't, you know, they're at the other end of their careers. And you can cobble together two pretty decent sides of blokes that might be earning, you know, the top paid bloke instead of being on a million dollars a year might be on three hundred thousand. Um, still good cash. Um, and and again, look, this is all back of a napkin calculation mm, because mm. the thing that underpins my thinking here is. What was demonstrated even last year was the Wallabies is still a viable international sporting brand. It's it's Australia's, you know, it's between that and the Socceroos for Australia's national team. And the Socceroos more or less sit dormant for four years um, until the World Cup comes around because in between we just play Uzbekistan and Syria and, and all of this stuff at three in the morning that that nobody nobody knows or sees. So... The Wallabies is still the, the the number one Australian winter winter code in terms of national, and we saw in the Perth Bledisloe drawing a record crowd for that for that particular stadium. We see, um, you know, Ireland series had a three test series of sellout crowds, um, albeit at slightly smaller stadiums. We've got um, a World Cup potentially around the corner. Um, we saw even in Tokyo in the World Cup where the amount of Australians travelling to that particular event, the ratings figures here show that it's still a viable commercial proposition, the Wallabies themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my thing is that's enough to underpin a some level of professionalism in the game. Now, yeah, the, the, the idea that we can sustain for super rugby sides of a standard that will all be competitive, well, that might be on the way out. But I think there's enough, you know, in terms of what New Zealand are going to need to do, because they don't have the economy of scale to power a, a, a highly paid domestic competition either. Um, they don't have the corporate um, sponsors there. They don't have the, the the private equity. They don't have the the crowds. I mean, you look at the New Zealand Super Rugby crowds. They're not they're not filling stadiums either. Um, and you know, whatever South Africa do, well, that's I mean, who knows? I wouldn't even hazard a guess at that. Um, yeah, there's there's a number of people that are in the same boat as us, in, and I just think that the idea that we would go back and just sort of wrap it up at the, at at Rugby Australia is is plausible, but I think there will be in just enough cash in the tin rattling around to allow us not to face that future just yet. I guess my my thinking is is that there wouldn't ostensibly be a decision made by Rugby Australia going, so pack it up, guys, let's go. My fear is it'll just be some sort of, as I said in the article, mm-hmm. a catalytic event that'll make that happen. But my playing out is we don't have a broadcast deal for next year. South Africa and New Zealand do. What happens if we don't get one? And I guess your point, Hugh, you've made as a comment in that article is that at some stage Fox Sports becomes viable. But yeah, in terms, it becomes viable for Fox Sports. Or we just, well, yeah, everyone you know, has their rights. We'll, yeah, exactly. At some stage, they'll they'll say, "Yep, we'll do it for pittance." But if Rugby Australia cannot afford to run the game, and you know, am I reading too many news limited articles to to start being fearful of that situation? Perhaps. Well, but if they no, can't afford right, to run the some, game, what happens? At some stage, Reg, they but their issue would be. At, at some stage, the, their liabilities in terms of player salaries in the coming three years will actually outweigh any sort of income that they will receive. Yep. So they would have to cut bait with a lot of, you know, they just have this, they negotiate an out clause for all these players to say, well, you know, it's essentially what they've done in the NBL, um, which yep. 
which has basically gone down the tubes but with very limited media attention, um, is saying, well, we're cutting all your salaries. And either you can go, you can either opt out of your contract and go and find something better, or you can stay and play for less. And that's that's yeah. your choice. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I um, there's well, great arguments um, on, I don't want to say both sides, because I think there's a bit of a continuum here. But um, yep. the thing that's amazing, though, is that, hey, is um, just the clarity that an event like this draws that you would never have ever thought of happening right that you know that something would mean that no one can play sport <laughs> and just stop and yeah. the competition stops top put that together with the timing of the of the um rights Take negotiations it, yeah. incredible right it's just nothing anyone could see that that was that you know that was going to happen so what it does give us though is a lens and a scalpel that we just will hopefully never have again but that there's an opportunity there because I think what everyone could feel was that basically the bizarre structure that super rugby and professional rugby had got itself into in this country where and where we'd continue to try and make some third competition in between club and super and we tried to make super far too big both within Australia and then dragging in Sunwolf teams and all other sorts of teams and all these different things had just got us to the point where it was just killing itself and you were just it was busy work and you're going down and and the the latest accounts from our ages show that that wasn't anything that um, Castle had really done the, the big damage was the thing that's cyclical and happens each year because basically um, this the, the whole sort of you know uh, professional rugby industrial complex that's been formed is just in a deleting circle that's going down and down and down and down. And so some, the music had to stop at some stage. The thing that I'm really hopeful of is that that this, you know, crisis-tunity that we have at the moment is actually fully used and it's like, okay, we need to get off this roundabout. How do we do it in a way that sets us up us up best my biggest worry is that we try like you were hinting at reg is try and fulfill some borrow enough you know beg and borrow enough yeah. money to limp through in some horrible super rugby competition um you know so that we can get i don't know maybe through to the to the lions and that maybe that'll yeah, generate exactly. just enough money yeah. to then get us through to the world cup which yeah. will just keep this whole schmozzle going and actually, if I was to bet on it, that's what they'll try and make happen. Yeah, and rely on this, you know, world championship, national championship that Beaumont will try and get going again in terms yeah. of the, yeah, so exactly right. Or a broadcaster will front up. It will say, I tell you what, yep. I'll, I'll pay you two years. I'll yep. give you two years up front, but, but you're locked in for however long or it's this, it's, it's this you know, small amount of money or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And that those deals will get done and we will continue to limp on in this thing that doesn't work. The, so, I think, the thing that I do hope happens, which is somewhere, I guess, probably between what you're talking about, Hugh, I think it's quite close to what you're talking about and what you're talking about, Reg, is I think if you do a hard cullback, there is no space for an NRC or no. APC in this country, it's just no one cares. It's a no one cares competition. Um, I do think there's care in 
uh, schoolboy. I think there is care in club. And uh, then I think you've got, you know, regional. And then, yes, there's some wallabies. But the further you go up that chain, the less care there actually is. And there's definitely no care for something in between. And there's probably no care for the, uh, well, not enough sort of space for us to be able to, uh, as we've been talking about forever, keep that full super rugby thing going of four different teams. Let's be honest, it's three at most. You could be right, Hugh, it's two, but it's somewhere between those, right? It's between two and three rep teams. And, and the thing that I do think, though, Reg, that means that you, we wouldn't get to the apocalypse that you're talking about is that even if every um, current professional Wallaby player went overseas tomorrow, mm. if the only way you get into the Wallabies is by being selected through um, the representative levels, you're going to have you're going to still have good players mm. those right because that's how yep. you make your payday you only get yep. paid the millions in France if you've played for the wallabies right you don't get Correct. it if you're some schmuck out of out of club or who's kind of had a dally you know at super level yep. but you know haven't quite yep. proved yourself yet so you're always yep. going to get you're going to have that element of talent that's going to come through because it's actually their best way of getting a payday it's it's self interest don't get me wrong it's not just for the honest honor of playing for the rugby for the mm. wallabies which i also think is a big motivator for for sportsmen because they want to be the best of the best and that's probably the, you know how else do they know they can test themselves on a national at a national level so i think you will have a lot of draw for those people to come through i think it needs to be consolidated down and then if you had a competition i think we're getting back close to like you know the super tens you know that sort of original super rugby where it was like quasi national teams where you've only got three aussie teams maybe a few pacific nations and a few good kiwi teams i think you've got something that's very very sellable then Mm. and that's something that can sustain those you know two or three super rugby super teams plus a wallabies until you but it culls it all right back um and there's no you know and and it's it's basically that and you to you to your point you let everyone else kind of go off and you just super simplify it down to there and you and you yeah and and i don't know if when i say build i don't think you need to make it bigger than that i think you just need to make it good um and you and you probably have fewer fewer games to be honest but i don't think there's going to be the money in the sporting market and the tv market for it yeah, look, and we're probably getting into question three about how we you know, come out of this and all that sort of stuff, which I think is fair enough to go into now. I, I wonder if we end up being a reverse NRL, whereas, you know, the, the, the strength of NRL is here and we invite the Kiwis over to, you know, chuck a team in and they might get a second team at some stage. We're the same. Like, here, your point about what the Kiwis are doing they managed to set up their five-team conference pretty damn quickly without any consultation from anyone else, and they're up and running in a couple of weeks' time, um, not mucking around and, and waiting for the Wallabies. But, you know, if they had that structure and brought in two Aussie teams, we played in their competition and, and maybe a Fiji team or something like that, that's got a bit of appeal. But even um, even the model we're talking about, so, you know, the, the Kiwis start their competition on 13th of June, so that's a month from now. Two games a day. Um, I think they're both. I'll say Saturday and Sunday, sort of two o'clock and I'm trying to think Australian time. So one o'clock and three o'clock in the afternoon. They're doing fly and fly out footy. We'll be doing our five team, maybe six team conference by all reports with the force, probably Sunwolves. You'd think unlikely, but possibly. Um, that's actually got a lot of appeal, doesn't it? for the rest of the year. I mean, I'd hopefully the quality's there, but 
to have guarantee. This is what you're talking about, Matt, without the underlays mm. of of club and school just yet. But to have guaranteed Saturday and Sunday afternoon footy, if we can time it in with the All Blacks games, you know, we'll, we will have six hours of high quality footy um, in a roll every Saturday afternoon, every Sunday afternoon, and that's the model ultimately that I think is our success. Well, and it's the model that they were pitching too, if you recall. You know, it was this sort of schoolboy, yes, you know, some schoolboy footy into some club footy, and then you've, you know, the New Zealand game, and you've got, the, the you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and an evening game. There, it's yeah, it, 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 I'm looking forward to the, to it, and, and I hope they can start it again. Um, just yeah, as I said before, I'm just sick of talking about board shenanigans, but it, it's um. Yeah, look, uh, in terms of the way back, I think what you've all touched on is is pretty pretty much true. I suppose the question I want to pose, though, Matt, you said it before, and you know it's a common, and I just want to sort of delve into it a little bit. Is a, it's a common refrain in this as well, you know, the pyramids the the wrong way around. You know, the money goes into the top and not the bottom, or or you know that that we're trying to have a sport led by the Wallabies and, and we've we've lost touch with what rugby is supposed to be. So what does finding touch with rugby look like? What does it actually mean for club games and subbies games? Because I'm not disputing the the central notion, but but at the same time, when people say that, it, it, they never really delve into specifics because my experience of subbies footy and playing it was that you know, we didn't. Money was the last thing we needed. You know, um, we needed essentially blokes that could play prop and scrum efficiently. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know. So, uh, but uh, so yeah. I, I suppose I just wanted to throw that back as a sort of discussion point. Well, well wouldn't the first step be around the sort of basically what are they called? The, the taxes that in this. In rugby, yeah. we end up we end up putting on people to play the game. The levy, yeah, <laughs> the levy, player levy, yeah, yeah. The levy, yeah, but, but, the levies but, we put on people. Um, every sport versus... has that, you know. And I, again, I I don't think that's something that's holding people back from playing. It was certainly the scene at the subbies level, maybe at junior level. Reg, you'd know a lot more about it than what I would, but I I don't know. Like that's a, you know, soccer soccer charges an an, an yeah. enormous amount, and people still line up around the block to play that. Well, I haven't ever had experience of the other sports, but my sense is, and everyone tells me, and everyone talk, look, points at Auskick and says, yeah, but the money goes back in. It's like a, um, it's much more like a Sweden deal, right? Um, yeah, fine, you, you know, you pay a lot of taxes, but geez, you get it back. Um, and that you see it in, and it's not like there's not people putting a lot of time and effort into junior rugby, and and and, and I know that, but you know, every you know everybody you talk to who's had experience in both will tell you and that also you know the money that enables and that pushes rugby into you know what wider circles and wider channels i mean you see that like the, the afl for example will bend over itself to try and fund and support you know more afl and gps rugby schools whereas at the same time we see you know well we saw it's gone now but you know all those other competitions where rugby used to be played in non-private schools and all of that dried up and all of that sort of disappeared so I mean, it's it's back into those arteries, which is kind of which have kind of shriveled and if not died. How do you fill that? How do you fill that base back up and get it going and make it and make it broader and into tributaries where it didn't used to go? I, it's it's not my. I, I agree with you, Hugh. It's not my um, 
it's not my area of expertise, but from a macro level, I think that's what it looks like. I think that's what it is. I think I think you're right. There is, you know, Nick Nick Fitz and and um, the clubs keep talking about the levies, and I, and I think it's much a uh, you know a theoretical thing. How dare you sort of we're funding you know the the sustainability of the game? What would happen? And there's others saying you know you've got to be giving more funding to to clubs. What would they do with it? Exactly right. And I know Queensland Rugby went through all this, you know, when we started reducing the funds from the from Premier Rugby on the request of AAU and all that, that sort of stuff. And we had clubs spending it on ridiculous things. We had some clubs spending it well. Guys like Sunnybank were very strategic. But some clubs buying, you know, 20 grand's worth of sleeping bags because um, some touring clubs were coming into town. Just ridiculous use of money. I think you're right. The funds have got to be to the growth of the game, so that greater presence in, in schools and supporting those schools and those schools, uh, non-traditional schools programs. I must say, made up in Queensland, there is a fair chunk of those and they're doing a fair bit. Now, not all of it's funded directly from the QAU or the ARU. It's a fund set up by, um, bequeathed by someone to go exactly to that, but there is a bit of that activity happening. But I think that's where they want to get, get into these schools and that's where the AFL and the NRL money is, all those sort of schools connections and, and opportunities. Oz kicks up a false economy in itself. Don't get me started on that. But I think that's the only way you could go to grassroots is just about that connection at the game um, and, and linking back to the clubs. Maybe it's just that. They, people want to be visible. They want to see kid, um development officers and QRU or uh, UKIT, you know, not only going to the schools, but then also going to the clubs and just linking those two together. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a, that's a, they're valid points. Um, and again, that's a discussion detail that we never get when these captains write letters and those yeah, sort of things yeah. around, mm. around what it means. But even then, I, 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 I agree with you that that is something that we need to, to pay much more focused to because the reality of this and it's sort of bringing it all back to a sort of home truth at the core of the game, which is what your article touched on Reg, but you know, I've played soccer, AFL, rugby union um, amongst other sports. And, you know, the thing that about rugby is that, you know, at its core, it is a very playable game mm. and it has advantages over those other sports that, that, you know, it's the game for all shapes and sizes and it's the game for all abilities too. And there's mm, a reason exactly. why, you know, subbies rugby is such a, a, a heralded thing in, in, in New South Wales anyways that, you know, it, it, it celebrates these blokes that aren't accepted really by other sports. Um, and, you know, me, I'm a tall, skinny bloke and, and, you know, I play in the second row and, you know, I battle on the soccer field and, and yep. AFL uh, is fun, but, God, there's some rules in it and I, I, I sort of struggle to pick up the flow of it. But, you know, rugby, it's just such a perfect game for the low levels and and it's the same at junior level too. It's it's it, And it's a game that's fun to play no matter how good or bad you are at it and no matter what sort of shape you are. Um, and that's one of the sustaining features of the game that'll see it, you know, live long you know, after we're all gone and, and ARU and all manner of administrative bodies have moved on, you know, that, that that's the core that we've got to get back to is that, you know, this, this is the reason why this, it's all a game, but it's a good game and it's one we love. And, and I hope whatever future, you know, we have in, in, in this country is, is that's just something that we never forget. Mm. Um, 
and in the way that we promote the game and grow the game at junior level and senior level and, and all levels. Cool. That's a good point, Hugh. Sorry, I just wanted to say that. Yeah. I, I've heard plenty of that, you know, that it's a game for all sizes, which can get a bit cliched, but your statement there, it's a game for all abilities, is a really well-made one. I think that's an excellent point. Yeah. but and, the, the, and then your other point, Hugh, was, so what do you do to get this thing if it's not just focused at the top? I mean, the other thing that we, I mean, just because of the status of this latest broadcast conversation is kind of just, um, I guess, gone by the wayside is is that argument of, well, you know, if you can't see it on free to air, I mean, your point, Reg, that you always make, if you can't... Can't see it. You can't, you, can't be what you can't see. Exactly. You know, and, and, and there's your thing is that you've just immediately alienated how much of the population yeah. um, instantly by people not being able to access this. And we're kind of like the frog we well i don't know if it's the frog that's been boiled or if there's another analogy of the people who kind of don't know any better but like yep. they they saw it in england when they took when they put it behind a paywall and you know community participation has just dropped off a cliff mm. because no one can see the game and whereas we've kind of just kind of got used to this and because the people well, actually, not you know, some of us sometimes. I mean, it's all changed over time now, right? But most of us have probably at t- most of our time been able to access, you know, pay pay per view TV. But you know, for for a lot for most for most other people, you can't, and so you're not going to see it, um, and you can't be that kid who's growing up and going, oh, that looks interesting. I'll watch a bit of that. Um, and so, whilst that's not then putting money into some sort of junior grassroots scheme maybe it's about making decisions on how much money you get out of whatever package you take um and or and or whether you know maybe what ben alexander's talking about which is that you say look we're going to carve out some space for us to be able to get something that's accessible by everybody um so that people can kind of get to it uh, that to me just seems like a like a fundamental that we've just kind of lost sight of because we've just got used to it being exactly. the way it is exactly yeah, the, the unattainability of the sport's a real issue. And I, you know, I think that's really well put, Matt, in terms of the, the visibility on TV. But <laughs> the the other one I saw someone post this week was just the cost of jersey. You know, if you, you were going to fund something, put put funding into <laughs> half pricing every bloody super rugby jersey so all of a sudden kids can actually afford them and be seen with them. But it, just the unaccessibility of the sport is just nuts. Um Look, lads, I think that's a fair effort for us, considering we're coming coming into this out of form. It's you know we haven't <laughs> done a podcast for a while. We've we've sort of come up for the long run of a few of those. Any other points there, Matt? You want to? You, you can feel the hemi tw- twinging up there. Yeah, camera. yeah, yeah. Just the throat's getting a bit dry. I'm always uh, got my hand up, staggering, looking for a replacement, but there's I can't see the coach making any calls to the bench just yet. So. Um, uh, Look, my, my, my one thing here is just, I just hope, I just really, really, really hope. But you know what? I think it's very unlikely. I just really hope this is the chance to kind of rebirth it, cut yeah. it right back, prune it hard, make some big, bold decisions, do something different. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, with everybody I've seen involved so far, I just don't know how that happens. Um, yeah. I actually felt there was more chance of that, to be honest with you, probably with Raylene Castle around. Yeah. Um. And um. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying she was perfect by any chance. And geez, you know, the way that the chips of the cookies crumbled didn't work out very well at all. But I just hope that that somebody with a clear head can go. You know what? The way we've been going for the last 25. I think you said it, 
Reg, this has been unsustainable for 25 years. Mm. It, gets, it gets propped up by the money in world rugby every however many years we get a World Cup or we mm. get a Lions Tour, mm. and then it goes back to just slowly dying. Mm. And, and on top of that, we've fueled it when we've then diluted everything with this bizarre mm. super rugby thing. And I just yeah. – now is the time to really cut it hard to get it to something that's really potent and accessible and can recharge the game um, and change the narrative, change that conversation. Um, and I really hope that somehow that comes out of this. I really fear it's not going to. Yep, I think that's a perfect way to finish it. I think that sort of encapsulates all our hopes for this. So, um, Hugh, uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. I think it was a really good discussion, really worthwhile. Yeah, thanks, Rich. Good one, boys. Um, Thanks to all our listeners. Uh, thanks for your patience and contributions. Please uh, keep chatting to us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, and um, on I the. Like, I feel like we should give them a helpline number by the end of that. <laughs> we'll give <laughs> we'll them the, the uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and to Nick in the booth for pulling it all together. Appreciate all that, and uh, we'll catch you next time we get together for a podcast. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan, drop goal from Larkham, up it goes, could you believe it, Larkham has Nabir Nabir.